Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, breakfast somewhere. Whoa, easy, easy. So eat up, food for thought. Okay, okay, settle down. Man, oh man, they love us already. Whew. It's great. What did man. I do to deserve this? All right, and so. I love, that, I love that album, by the way. Wow. I, I actually listened to it more than once. Uh, more, I'm sorry, more than once. A lot since you released it. I just, what you did with that, you know, I did John Blues in Malibu. Of course. I know that, that. But wait a second, without, without getting ahead of ourselves, I got to introduce you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we have a good, good, good show today. A very, very special guest. This one is very special to me because this is my old dear friend. Uh, we've known each other for, man, oh man, I don't, I really don't want to say because I'm going to start feeling like, I well, feel like you're feeling pretty old. <laughs> yeah, a long time. And yeah. I mean, ever since, you know, I, I think we met in Boston when I was at Berkeley. That's and right. He is a prolific composer. E12 was the room. E12 was the boy. What, the what a memory. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. Uh, you, I mean, your memory, I'm okay. I'm really feeling bad now, but well, I could be wrong. It might have been E2 <laughs> or something, but I know it was E something, ensemble was room. One of those, yeah. E12. E12. Well, I'll take E12. And <laughs> right. he is he is a prolific composer, a jazz composer, a classical composer, everything in between. Uh, just a consummate musician, singer, guitarist. Um, he served in the military in yeah. Vietnam and uh, was also part for a while of the Lieutenant Band, uh, Dan Band with Gary Sinise. Right. Uh, he has done well, his I have to I have to stop just for a second. Yeah. I was in Lieutenant Dan band and Gary was in it with me. There you go. <laughs> I'm sorry, I stand corrected. Danny. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gary's in it with you. All right. Oh man. So that's that's okay. Right. All I'm right. sorry about that. <laughs> so yeah. So and 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 here we are. And so Kimo and I have had a professional um relationship for a long time and uh you know it started when when he had called me to to uh, record on uh on his album and then we we'd, we'd done several things after that yeah. and um and the rest is history and ladies yeah. and gentlemen uh he hails from hawaii and yeah. is currently <clears throat> living living in west virginia mr james Kimo williams yeah. welcome to breakfast with Vinny. Man, this is great. I <laughs> should have brought my donuts with my coffee and everything. Man. This is great. But we could pause it, you know, and you can go grab them if you want. <laughs> ah, no, no, no. It's it's actually a little bit later than breakfast here. I was going to have a pizza a little bit later. Okay. But okay. 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 So yeah, this is this comes. This has been a long time, you know, and um, I remember nineteen seventy. 374 around there back at Berkeley and uh I went there 74 75 74 75 oh yeah, okay. I had already been there about a year and a half maybe two mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um it, it's nice that you know 2023 we're still hooked up I love it there it is so we did war stories and that was really really prolific and then the concerts that we did and um in chicago and then and, and then in malibu and and Wisconsin, we did that one up there also i remember that that was that was uh, a great one you did your master class up there and you just amazed everyone <laughs> because your plan was there but then you had this conversation which took a lot of these percussion players away from let me hit this as hard as I can so I can be Vinny. Instead, they started this because you were very, very specific about converse, about compositional, listening to what you're doing on your drums, but also understand what the composition is. And so you were interacting with these these guys. And, you know, and here we are on tour and those kinds of things. And it takes me back to, uh, you know, when we did War Stories. And I was telling you about this a little bit um, on the telephone. Over the years, I've told you this, you know. I came to Vietnam. I mean, I came to Berkeley straight from Vietnam. So Vietnam, I, I I came back and I said, "What the hell am I going to do with my life now?" Nobody wanted to talk to musicians, uh, talk to veterans, uh, especially if you were part of the Vietnam War. So you know, you got into like, "Hey, I don't want any of that. I don't have anything to do with it." But they gave you the GI Bill, so uh, 
I said, I've got to do something with my life. Yeah. And my dad, you know, who's an alcoholic uh, abuser was just like, yeah, you'll never make anything of yourself. You know, so that was sort of on my own. And I said, I got to go find something to do. So I was really into art, drawing and stuff like that. Went to the library in Hawaii to look up a book to go to the Arizona School of Art. And uh, I got the wrong book off the shelf. It said Berkeley College of Music. <laughs> oh, so I said, "Hey, you mean you can go to music school?" So, uh, you know, I sent my thing in and um, used the GI Bill, and that started me on the road to where I am now. And one thing I wanted to do with that war stories was talk about my experiences. Couldn't do it with words. Nobody. Right. Was well, okay, I want to get to that, and you know what? But let me just back up a second. When yes. you said nobody wanted to talk to, to know about you when you came back from Vietnam. Are you talking about when you went back to Hawaii? Oh, yes, anywhere. So so yeah. why, why do you think that that was because of just the sort of social climate at the time that was, you know, probably informed by anti-war sentiment? And, you you know? got it. Okay. Got it. It, okay. it was the culture and the, you know, the, this whole concept that the veteran was killing babies. And so everybody was like, stay away from me. And everybody wanted to be cool. You know, who are the cool, what's the cool community in Hawaii or anywhere that you go around that time? And the cool community, uh, uh, the cool community was, you know, stick it to the pig or or something like that. And yeah. anybody in uniform yeah. was specifically, um, you know, not in that culture. Right. So, so you felt this as you came back. And so you took your, as soon as I got, as soon as I hit the airport, and I mean, as soon as I got off the plane, I went into the bathroom, took my uniform off, and then uh, got a ride home. Nobody yeah. wanted to see anybody in uniform. That's, that's crazy. Well, you know, I mean, that was counterculture at the time. That's right. And, and you know, I get the anti-war sentiment. I mean, I was just on the cusp of being old enough to be drafted, and I didn't want to be drafted. You know, now, mind you that in present day, and even before present day for quite some time i'm you know i support veterans it's a complex yeah, issue yeah. because we don't want to be fighting unjust wars and war is messy and always ugly um right. and so but when you have a counterculture like that and so a veteran comes home and you might say you know you're over there fighting an unnecessary war the fact is still that he put his life on the line yeah and that's right that doesn't do him much good psychologically because that, absolutely man you right. hit it on, on the on the on the head with that it's, so it's a complex it's a double-sided issue reminds yeah. me of back in 2001 when the you know the mantra we heard from the government was support our troops now, that's that infuriated right. me because me of course i support the troops it's your decision to send them in there now that i don't support because right. it's an unjust reason but you know, but the problem, the problem, you know, and Carol, my wife says this so well, is that that's logic and logic does not work in a base that only looks at their emotional connection to what they call patriotism. And they're talking about emotion. They're not talking. So it was always, you know, you don't support the troops and automatically you are considered someone who is unpatriotic don't give a shit about the country and so forth simply because you said you don't support the war. You never said you didn't support the troops. And how do you support the troops? Everybody has a different way of doing that. Mm -hmm. So when I came back and landed, it was, you know, I'm, I'm 20, I think what 20, I must be 21 or something like that. And um, I fell into that. I mean, I fell into this whole sense of, I am not, um, I did not make a contribution that was significant enough to suggest that I should be thanked, and that hurts. Of course, it hurt. That's yeah. that's ridiculous. But it's, so so basically, we're talking about a schism between logic and emotion. We we yeah. know that now. We know that if you want to sell any idea or thing to someone, you're going to appeal to their emotions. Every advertiser and every salesman and every manufacturer knows that. That's how you right. sell things to people. That's right. And, and, and people will, will buy based on emotion before they yeah. would think logically. I, well, I don't need this at home. Well, I don't care. I feel good. I'm going to buy it. Exactly. And so, so therefore, if you same goes for any propaganda with whether it's, you know, um, 
to try to get people to take a certain kind of drug, let's say, and I'll leave it right there. If you turn around and say, well, wait a minute, the facts don't support this. Right, right. The the fear mechanism has been activated. That's the end of it. Right. So, so there. So when you, you mentioned war stories, chemo. um, Yeah. So tell us, uh, first of all, I want to know in a general sense, you know, what inform like the, the urge for you to compose, what informs your compositions and, and narrowing it down, what informed war stories? Yeah. To make uh, a that's question. a great, great question. Yeah. Um, and I really love the way you put it. it. It's, well, I'm not going to get into that, but I appreciate how you ask that question. Hmm. Um, war stories was mainly, there was an emotional connection between seeing a movie with my wife, Carol, called Platoon. And mm-hmm. before Platoon, Carol would ask me, what were you, what was it like in Vietnam? And I would just kind of brush it. Yeah, well, you know, it was rough. And, but I didn't get specifics. Other people would ask me. I never got into specifics because I actually felt that I did not really make this significant contribution. I don't think there would be enough time for me to be able to explain everything about every aspect the good and the bad, because if it's war, you're supposed to exaggerate. Yeah, I was I was being shot at. I was running. I was going through the jungle. And if you didn't do that, then you felt like you did not contribute at the level that suggests that a soldier is supposed to fight for his country. So that meant it, you kept a lot of inside and you just sort of answered with these, you know, quick responses, almost like, you know, uh, you, you sneeze and somebody says, God bless you. You know, so someone is just sort of asking, well, you served in Vietnam, thank you for your service. And, you know, you go, oh, okay. Well, you do understand that they're trying to show their understanding that you did serve, but it hurts inside because you know that you want to say more. I actually wanted to talk about what I was eating, what the people were like, but you knew that's not what they wanted to hear. So with war stories, or when I got to Berkeley and I learned the concept of composition, um, I said, this may be my language. This might be the way for me to speak about what I am feeling about Vietnam and what I did, and which is why I called it War Stories. So in that album, I try to, um, through my compositional, through the the, the compositional uh, education that I had, to relate my emotional feelings as opposed to saying that, well, here are what birds sound like, or here's me walking through a door. It was just me talking through the concept of composition. And one of my first classes was, I think it was called Style and Analysis. And um, I sat down for the first time and heard Oliver Mezian. And I his, remember, uh, you talking about a Berkeley class? Yeah, a Berkeley class. I remember class. that. Yeah. yeah. Stalin analysis. Was, I forgot who the teacher was. Uh, or I forgot who it was, but it was a composition called um, Oliver Mezian's um, Quartet for the End of Time. And specifically, oh, yeah. oh, that's this, great. A movement, uh, the Dance of Fury, I think it's Seven Trumpets. And I had just got into Mahavishnu Orchestra I, and, oh, and Weather Report when I went to Berkeley, which is why I went to Berkeley. You know, oh, okay. I said, I got to I got to do that. I got to find a way to do that. And I thought I could do it on guitar, but I didn't have the skills on guitar. But I went to Berkeley to learn the skills on guitar and realize that, you know, maybe I should think about something else. So I, I looked more at composition. So I said I wanted to create that kind of thing through my music because Oliver Mezian wrote that piece specifically to speak about, you know, he was deeply, deeply religious. And everything he wrote was connected to his concept of life and the angels and so forth. And he was in a, um, I think it was a concentration, I don't know if it was a concentration camp, but it, it was a detention camp. And, um, you know, he, he started to, he wrote these things, but he was trying to give his experience and he did that through music. So when I heard Ma Vishnu, and I said, oh yeah, I love that because I love the odd, t- odd time signatures. And then I heard Oliver Mezian's quartet is the six movement specifically, which is no bar, no no time signature, no bar lines. And I'm like, oh man, 
<laughs> that's great. And then I learned that he heard that from Stravinsky and Stravinsky got it from Indian music. And I just said, wow. So yeah. I got into this whole concept of uh, odd time signatures and trying to create the movement, I mean, the emotion that I had and thought of when I thought about Vietnam using that approach to almost all of my compositions. I was trying to find a way to not make it always one, two, three, four, one, two, and here we are again, and just like before, and here we go. And so I wasn't using it, I tried not to create it only as a gimmick. It was yeah, more, I was gonna say, you, you didn't do it as a novelty, yeah. Right, right, it was more like Mazorsky when he did, um, I think it was, um, Boris, it was either Boris Gudnov or or um, his pictures at an exhibition, one of the movements. And Renfrey Korsakoff was the one who um, reorchestrated it. But he was part of that Russian Five, and they always had these little get-togethers and things like that. And they got together to talk about his piece, and they said, what's this 5-4 thing? You know, what's going on? We don't do that around here, you know, the whole technical approach <laughs> to composition. And he said... Um, it was supposed to represent a guy, uh, uh, a homeless guy, and I'm using, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, a homeless guy who's walking down the street and he has a limp. And so he did the five four to create the limp. <laughs> I mean, that's, and I said, that's yeah. what I'm trying to do with my music is to use the music to create a visualization of my emotional experiences. Bingo. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So that got me going, you know. So with war stories, I tried to think about what I was, um, my immediate memories of Vietnam. And um, mm -hmm. I remember when I sat down with you for the first time, mm -hmm. it was a song called uh, Opeasements. And um, it was in 5-4. And all I said, and I can't believe you did this, it was in Rumble Studios. I don't know if you remember Rumble or not. Yes, I do. But I said, could you hide the barred line? He said, oh, sure, no problem. And I'm like, what, does he really know what I mean? <laughs> and sure enough, you started playing the thing and it, and, it, and it was like the bar line of five wasn't there, but it was enough so that, I mean, but the music just flowed. And you I could feel the five, but, but you could, yeah. Exactly, I couldn't Yeah, there's understand. a way to do it without spelling it out, exactly. Without spelling it out. And I didn't know how to articulate it. I didn't know how to... Um, um play it or anything like that i knew what it is that i heard in my head and it was so wonderful to be able to sit with you and we didn't even go through a track you didn't play this and say well is this what you want is this what you want all you said was okay as you were drinking a cup of coffee <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you know i guess we're kindred spirits you know yeah it was yeah, great it I was thought, a great I got you you know and uh I saw right away. And, and and then the way you were writing and some of these signatures, like you would write like uh, something and a half over eight, you know, and yeah. And, and I understood that as well, because really yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yep. it's, it's a conceptual, it's a subtle conceptual shift. It's conceptual, man. You are right on that. That is exactly what it is. And when they, I wrote this tune in five and a half, four and so many people, and, and I'm not saying this in a negative way or, or any kind of way other than a drummer would say to me, break it down for me. And once you do that, from, from my perspective as a composer, I, I can break it down and say, well, it's, you know, for, uh, um, uh, make it um, 10, 16 or something, or, or, or break it down this way, break, or five, five, four, four, or there's a five, there's a four, there's a three, there's a two. But all I wanted to do was just, you know, I could sing, you know, bum, 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 bum. That's it. Now go for it. Right. And that's exactly. how I wanted to approach the compositional process. Mm -hmm. But in so many cases, other than dealing when I was working with you and some other folks, it was, um, mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was very hard to get it so that it flowed as opposed to sounding like one, two, three, four, five, one, one, two, three, four, five, one, one, two, three, you know, so, um, uh, that's how I sort of got into that whole five and a half, because I actually think there's one, two, three, four, five, one, one, and then there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, or however you might 
want to uh, look at it. Mm -hmm. But it's hopefully, almost like there's a there's a lot of that. Hopefully, that you will cut out because you know. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> no, but you, you get what I mean. No, yeah. no, this is this is good. This okay, is good. all good. This is very valid stuff. Great. Like Thanks. it's like it's like taking a breath. You know, three, four, five, one. You know, it's yeah, it's, that, it's exactly yeah. Kind of. So there is a different way, especially when you write it for the performer to see in your composition. They see that, and somehow there's a psychological shift. I'm just going to shift this just for one second to the drumming realm. Like, for example, most people play the drums now where they hold the drumsticks the same way in both hands. Ah, uh, right. Match grip, and it's not even an issue anymore to the point where it be, it's it's now anomalous or it's an anomaly to play traditional grip which means that you would hold the left hand or you know if you're left-handed could be the right hand right um you know in in a more a, a manner that was reserved for military drumming you know in, in the the nascent stages of the you know america you know what i mean yeah I'm right. talking about. so but the thing is is that that method has stood the test of time and a lot of jazz drummers played that way and still do yeah um and you'll see people flipping their hands over because there's a psychological shift there just is end of okay full yeah, stop yeah right you right. can't you can't you, you there's no way you can't really it's inarguable when when you do that you're going to think differently and it's not a bad thing someone right, once right. said to me it was i can't remember if it was a written question or or at a clinic or something like they said oh it must have been, i think it was a written comment so why do you play traditional grip on the drum set and don't tell me it's because it feels good I thought, <laughs> oh my answer is like okay i won't Next question. <laughs> right. You know, what do you want me to say? Right. You know I mean, so so I say that because there's also a conceptual shift there just from a drumming, physical drumming standpoint. You I think different. My left hand now has a role that's much more I don't want to say fixed, but I just think differently. So so seeing these kind of time signatures written in a different way, yeah, it's a, it's a conceptual shift. So so but I that's guess right. Yeah, and I get how you're talking about what informed war stories and what informs your uh, your composition in general. Um, and and I've got to tell you that I mean, you hear your music, and 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 I hear I can hear where you come from. I hear your Hawaiian heritage in it, coupled with the militaristic element. Yeah, that I appreciate is, that, man. Yeah, yeah, I hear it the way that you treat scales and harmony i i hear it all and um you manage to to bring yourself and your roots as well as uh your your military experience um and what you're trying to say to people into your composition so i just wanted to say that and it's amazing yeah. how a person can abstract the and hear those things with with a you know the notes of a chromatic scale you know what i mean yeah man, pretty amazing. That, that's great yeah and you know what i mean like people say well minor sounds sad it does and some will say well not always okay but we are able to evoke these emotions you know with those notes and with these rhythmic vehicles etc cetera, etc cetera. and um and you've, you've managed to, to do that in an amazing way so thank you bravo. what's so important to me is when you said conceptually you conceptualize the drums so differently than someone else not about being better or worse but you just have a different conceptualization of how you're going to approach the drum i have a different conceptualization of how i approach the composition so when i say five and a half four it's not because from my perspective but it helps me to write what i want to write you know and i only use that 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 time signature because that's the first time i use the half because when I said 10-8, in the mind of all the musicians, and I had like 20 or 30 of them at Berkeley, they're thinking of the eighth note. I didn't want them to think of the eighth note. 
I wanted them to think of the quarter note in five with an extra eighth note. Because as you know, if you if you if you don't do that, then you're thinking of, you know, a bump, 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 bump instead of bump two, three, four, five, one, one, two. And that's a whole different thing for me when I was writing the piece and when I was contemplating how I was going to have the horns, how I was going to have the strings. And that was how I conceptualized it. Yes, in the theory of music, you can break it down mm -hmm. to uh, uh, 10, eight instead of five and a half, four or something mm -hmm. like that, or 11, eight, I'm sorry. You can break it down to uh, these different, but everyone's going to approach it. Not everyone, but a lot of people will approach it differently. So I appreciate you saying this whole thing about this, about um, you can conceptualize something different. And that means it makes you an individual. And I want it to be that as I look at the history of Mazorsky and what he had to go through to be an individual. They He wrote Boris Gudnov and they would not accept it at the, um, and I can't remember the specifics, I'm getting so old, but they would not accept it uh, on the, on the, uh, as a performance because he didn't have a love scene, <laughs> you know? So you know, sorry, but whoa, whoa, what about the music? <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of, and I've mentioned this before, you, you know, that book, the lexicon of musical invective, right? Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, it's full of stuff like that where, you know, they premiered, uh, Stravinsky premiered right of spring and it was like throwing tomatoes or something. Saying, right, you know this right. music? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's yeah. like every new thing that's, somehow threatening to people it, yeah the, so there you go it's it's yeah. embedded in history it, it, yeah well um so, so as i moved through composition man mm -hmm. i you you were in my head so many times uh and, and that one of the things i i said in my liner notes um mm -hmm. oh I, I gotta do this little anecdote though <laughs> i'll never forget <laughs> this so you know we did the malibu concert yeah and um you uh, were taking the solo on your <laughs> drums, of course. You were taking the solo, and the song is called uh, Buffalo. <laughs> so you're taking the solo. <laughs> you said, these are the buffalo. And you, you started doing the Tom thing and all that. But that's exactly what I wanted. It was about buffalo soldiers. Yeah. I mean, it was the whole thing. And so you, you, you were able to use what you did with your... Uh, your abilities as an instrumentalist hmm. to represent what I am trying to do with my expressions. And then well, I'm trying to do it with some humor. Well, thank you. I remember yeah. I was like scratching or something. And I said something like it's the, yeah. yeah. That's and, right. Yeah. It was hilarious. That was a great, great concert. I really enjoyed that chemo. I mean, we have a lot of, I love John. I love during one of the few times I did somebody else's music and John blues was so well received that uh, this German record label called me up to put it on their Mahavishnu um, album to honor John McLaughlin. Wow. And they heard that and they said, man, can can we uh, get the license to put John's uh, blues on this? Because that's mm -hmm. just a great, great performance, which was great for the band also to, to have worked with your music. That's an amazing composition. Thank uh, you just so much. amazing. Uh, as well as the rest of the uh, the things on that album. Thank you so much, Kimo. I mean, I wrote that for for John, and yeah, I um, and then I told John that. And so, it's interestingly enough, several years later, he sent me something to record remotely with him, um, ah. and it was called "New Blues, Old Brews." And <laughs> when I heard the intro to it, it was like him tipping his hat to me. Because the intro that I used on on John's blues was very similar to that harmonically, but he used like choir voices and and I and and, and the, but his was instead of you know mine was like a slow twelve eight his was a slow fifteen eight and, <laughs> of course <laughs> of course so and it was just wow. slow enough to create the booby trap of if you stop and think you're doomed yes that's you know? right. Because there were these that. these hits in weird places during the 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 head, and um, like if you were soloing over that, and you actually had to stop and think versus feel, 
you're yeah. in trouble. But it was so slow that there was enough time between them that it was kind of almost hard to feel it. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I so do, man. Built-in booby trap. Yeah. Yeah. But so, so I ended up recording it remotely, you know, at, at my house then. And um, yeah, it was great. And, and, I'd, and I had done it again for him recently on another record. So I've had the pleasure of doing that. And, and like, you, like yourself, you know, you, you discovered Mahavishnu and Weather Report. I mean, they made a tremendous impact on myself too. And, 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 on me and 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 many of us um and it's huge. just weird yeah huge they changed music and at that time you also touched on individualism and and i think that we all championed that at that time it was the order of the day it was expected yeah. of you and it helped you to draw out who you really are right whatever that is because we all have this innate uniqueness and we just allow it to to come forth and it's such a challenge man yeah it and it's still absolutely one of the things that just bothered me and mm. I, I use this in a, and again i'm not trying to um put a, a bad light on berkeley but i had an individual voice that i wanted to use the tools the foundation that i got from berkeley and create my voice you know but use berkeley to do that so, you know, I would, instead of doing um, um, All the Things You Are as a big band arrangement, you know, I did In Memory of Elizabeth Reed, you know, by the Allman Brothers. What's you know, it was like, because I love that tune. Well, so do I. Yeah. You know, yeah. So I did that as a big, and Hal Crook, Love Him to Pieces, is like, what's that? <laughs> you know, you know, you remember Hal Crook? Yeah. Yeah, a trombone player. Not only him, but throughout. And then it was about Duke Ellington's line writing. And yeah, okay, I I see that. I see how it works. And then Mike Gibbs, bless his heart, he says, well, listen to that, but add your touch to it. And I'm going, okay, that's what I'm going to do. So throughout my whole, whole um, time at, at Berkeley, I, I tried to give my voice, my individual approach to the composition, but still, you know, uh, do what was required, you know, because if they say you need to to, to uh, do an arrangement with Duke Ellington's line writing, mm -hmm. you know, you, you better do that <laughs> to get your grade. But I can tell you what, that's why I put my band together with uh, Jamie Glazer, Kenwood Denard, and some of these other folks, and Tage Koshi and all that, and sort of did my own thing. You know, I did um, Birdline, did almost the... I think with my big band, I did one of the first concerts at the Berkeley Performance Center for a student. The first student concert at the brand new Berkeley Performance Center. And it was an amazing thing. And it's going to be up on my website because I still I got recordings from it and so forth. But I really wanted to approach how I was going to how I was going to write music mm -hmm. based on not my technical ability, but my emotional ability using the tools that I had available to me. And I could not write like some of the great uh, arrangers and composers that came out of Berkeley. I couldn't keep up with them if I tried, but I had my own voice and my voice was very simple in a lot of cases. And sometimes it wasn't simple or it was awkward or it didn't sound like this. You know, Jim Odgren, I don't know if you remember Jim Odgren at all, an alpha player. But one of the things that I, I when he did War Stories with me, mm -hmm. He was doing, because I was doing a lot of this was tracking. That's why I called it tracking as individuals. So he would play sex, alto two. He would play the line. And you know, he said, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of weird because it was jumping high and doing all this. Then he would play the first alto part. And then he goes, oh, I see. So it didn't follow the line writing to Duke Ellington where each instrument was supposed to have a sort of, it should work well in and of itself. But it did these skips and hops, but it created a more sonic approach that felt well with me. And he appreciated that after he was able to see how all the all the instruments come together. And that's how I'm writing now. You know, I'm thinking about um, one individual instrument, and then how is it going to work with, you know, 
20 more. I mean, everybody thinks that like that, but mm -hmm. I try not to think like this must go this way and this must go that way. And then this must go the parallel harmonies and stuff like that. Yeah, I just yeah, write, yeah. let it come out and then see, uh, mm -hmm. and see what I get from it. And that's that individual voice. And I found that, um, you know, Berkeley helped me to do that by interacting with people like you and, and some of the other musicians that uh, we hooked up with uh, at the time. Yeah, you talk about Kenwood and Tiger and Jamie. I yeah. mean, these guys, I mean, me and Kenwood used to, you know, we, we were in the same dorm and we'd, we'd, you know, hang out together on the same floor and play on yeah. practice pads. And, you know, and, and, and I remember I hooked up with Tiger uh, and recorded with him after a while. And Jamie, I mean, they all went on to do great things. Uh, yeah. So not a bad lineup you had there. But Mike Stern, remember yeah. Mike? Yeah. Of course yeah. you do. Of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course but, you do. But Mike, Mike Gibbs really was a trailblazer in that. Oh, when you talked wasn't. about him, I mean, not necessarily rule breaking, but just really, you know, brazen and encouraging yeah. to sort of, you know, be yourself. And and you talk very encouraging. You know what you're saying? We're saying, well, I couldn't write like so and so. You know what? Don't sell yourself short because look at what you became. It's it's. Yeah. I remember hearing um, a story that someone was talking about a guitarist and he was, he said um, something about, oh, you know, I, I couldn't play like those guys. So I had to think about my own thing. And then he became this iconic, um, you know, unique voice that was doing things that nobody else thought of doing. So, you know, it's, and I've seen in, you know, people that even drummers uh, who I would, you know, say, well, that guy's an innovator. And, and I'd hear other people say, yeah, but his time was kind of weird. I'm like, yeah okay you know what uh he was an innovator sorry so like are you you, you know yeah. <laughs> right right you know are any of us so you know well how many can innovate well he was just being himself you know and so these are all kind of mood questions and some people would say well i could get tired of hearing that just like i get, get tired of hearing somebody else who sounds like everybody else i'm like well then pick your poison you know, because I'm yeah. not going to sit here and argue with you because I think that it's just more important to just be yourself, man. Um, I think that is so important. And, you yeah. know, with social media nowadays, yeah. it is hard to find a way to be yourself, but then to let other people uh, observe you being yourself because there's just so much uh, naysayers, you know, people who just, they, they got to make a point about well that's all great but that thing right there that you did that's not great that's you just know, whoa a lot of ar yeah armchair quarterbacks and yeah bedroom napoleons you know and, uh, yeah yeah it's rampant with that sort of stuff it's a double-edged sword you know it's um you know when you get that much information that's presented to you right away uh yeah you can get, amass a lot of knowledge without having sort of seen where it came from or worked toward it or used your imagination or figured it out yourself. And it's almost like it reminds me of cramming for a test. And some of it may stick, but then you get most most of it, if you get that kind of a glut of information, then you may end up with probably 90% of the people sounding very homogenous. So there's that, you know, and, and, you know, again, I'm not saying it's a bad mouth. And also notice that when I talked about other people and saying, oh, this guitar player, I'm leaving names out of it. I'm not going to sit here and name names. No. We're just using examples here. Right. So right. yeah, it's a double-edged sword, but, but so now um, let's, let's talk a little bit about, about rare 12. I yeah. wanted to go back to you were, we were talking about these odd time signatures. I'm going to tell you something that I had not planned to tell you until you figured. So you may not remember this. You sent me, I sent you a, um, the recording of if seven was four and you sent a wonderful text message back and say it came a while yeah yeah you know i got the i got the um uh the intro time signature but I, i'm not really seeing where the uh that this the such and such part is you know and i said wow i can't wait to tell them what i did with that tune so you oh. are playing the the band is in four and you're in seven and if you listen to it 
the intro is of course the intro to it is thirteen sixteen with you and the and the drums just thirteen sixteen and then you you probably and that's what you figured out that's thirteen sixteen but after that it intro after that intro and then you do that setup and you get them in there that be, that is the band and the horns all of that is in four four. And you're in seven. Now, this is the kicker and how you get, not you, I mean, you will know it now that you've, I've said it, but if anybody wants to listen to it, you're going to hear um, these uh, rap voices. You're going, with, I, yeah. I hate to call it rap voices, but these black voices going, yeah, baby. And they go, woo, and go, come on, come on. You're going to hear that? <laughs> Each time you hear them is on the downbeat of seven. <laughs> And you will not, it, it's Absolutely. hard. And you're playing, you're playing the seven, but you're not, you're also hiding the time signature. Yeah. That's what's really cool about it. Yeah. When you listen to it, you hear those voices on the downbeat of seven. Fantastic. <laughs> the end of an era of hate and bloodshed and violence. It's the beginning of peace and goodwill on earth because the war is over and there'll never be another. Come on, come on. That's really funny. Okay. Now I see what you're saying. Okay. So, yeah, and, and this is the album Red Summer that I'm working on that I'm going to release on, on Veterans Day. And I called it this. Um, if seven was four, is the, um, the, is the last actual, it was not the last, it was the next to last piece on this album. And it, the visual is going to be soldiers marching back from world war one coming back in 1918 november uh no i think it was they had the parade sometime in november and they're marching back they're proud man we're we did it we went over we fought for our country now everything is going to be great we're going to be uh no no longer we're going to going to be all these lynching and the race right you know and instead it was the opposite and so one of the things that has happened throughout history is when we talk about uh, how blacks are involved, was involved in um, World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, mm -hmm. and so forth, it, it sometimes gets involved with numbers. And it talks about what percentage are blacks in the country and what percent died. And then is what percent is this and what percent is that? And so my point for naming this uh if seven was four it does not matter is that we shouldn't be thinking about numbers we'd be thinking about the larger issue of yeah. um oppression and why would do we need to treat people this way and so forth let's talk about that systemic systemic issues as opposed mm -hmm. to specifics of the statistics that tells you that this is that therefore we must and so that was uh, what that piece is about. And it works really well to have the seven and you, you're playing in seven, but not during one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, you know, you're <laughs> playing over it. And so the four is there and it's all just worked out perfectly. <laughs> so there's, yeah. there's a method to my madness. <laughs> yeah, sir. Keep, keep bringing the madness on. So, yeah. so let's, let's talk about rare 12 a little bit. Yeah.
Um, Tell us a little bit about that composition, Kimo. Well, you know, you know, there's, I, I want, when I was writing music, I was trying to also come up with, I wanted to be creative with titles. So I have a song called Bleef. You know, well, what does that mean? I don't know, but it made me write something down. So therefore that's the name. Um, Stolen Butterflies. You know, this is all from my War Stories album. This all came from being in Vietnam. And when you land at first, you kind of go, hey, man, this is, you know, and then you started to get a little anxious. And so before you're going, oh, what's going on? And your butterflies start to fall in. But as soon as you get into battle, those butterflies are gone. And that's what I mean by stolen butterflies. So sometimes there's a there's a, a connection, but then sometimes it's just random. I thought right. of the word sot, you know, walking with your sot. And it turns out that it actually was a word. So with Rare 12, it was more about the the uses of the word 12. I, I think I, I looked up something about 12 colors and I was mm-hmm. starting to get into colors and how mm-hmm. the whole concept of 12 is connected to colors. There's 12 uh, people on a jury. There's 12, month in, 12 months in the year, you know? And so That's I said, well, number. Yeah, right. So I said, here's uh this is a rare approach to 12. So, wow. you know, it was just a thing that I came up with at that moment. Mm-hmm. So when I wrote the piece, I also wanted it to have um a and I think I did this with several of my piece, my earlier earlier pieces, mm-hmm. is to have a segmentation where there's you you're you're uh you're hearing um a four four kind of beat, but then you can go into the jazz thing. Then you come back to it. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I was yeah, trying yeah. to create a piece that had these segmentations that moves mm-hmm. from one. Then you can start thinking about something else. Mm-hmm. Then you come back to it. I find, I find that that is how I have approached composition, but not from a, a, a rigorous, uh, technical perspective like a Beethoven elongation. You know, where you going to elongate the theme. Mm-hmm. throughout uh the composition mm-hmm. and or thematic i wasn't trying to do that it mm-hmm. was just how i felt at that moment and when i think of rare 12 you know in my head i heard well then let's okay. do that the, and yeah. i went for it <laughs> <Just draw. laughs> And there it is. Yeah. Yeah. And there it and, is. And, and and Michael, may he rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, Brecker did that. And that was his first take, right? No, the one on the album is yeah. the second take. But if you hear the video has his first take at the end is, is the backstory. So right. uh, the, he did the second take. And is when you see the video, he's like listening to it. And this is where I don't want to badmouth anybody but he was having problems with the bass player. Uh, and so I'm not going to bad mouth him. So he was having problems with the bass player. He kept going, you know, bring up the symbol, bring up the symbol in the recording. It's, it's nice to see. He was a, one of, as you know, I'm sure you, 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 I know you've worked with him. He's such a sweetheart. He, he, he came in and he said, well, what is it that you're looking for? What do you think? We, and he didn't say, what do you want me to do? He said, what do we want from this? Mm-hmm. How do we want to approach that? And he did two tunes for me. He did Palmalu Place, which is uh, now has been changed the title to Epilogue, which is on this album that's coming up. Mm-hmm. And he does this cadenza. And I said, I wanted this this girl screaming for, and he said, oh yeah, I can do that. And he did this unbelievable, amaz- amazing cadenza. And then he took the solo. But in Rare 12, it was, on, it, it was um, having you and him do fours. And he loved it. If you see when you see the video, you see him smiling, listening to uh, the the uh, the intricacies of what you were doing with with the drums. And he's like smiling and trying to count, or not trying, but was counting. And he's going, "Yeah." And I think I know. And he did tell me this that that inspired the hell out of him. It did. You know what you were doing in between what he was doing. He said just took him to another plateau that he hasn't at that time that that he said that um that he hasn't done in a long time i appreciated the fact that he got to play with you 
and then interact with you at the same time. You hear that when he when he's playing his solo stuff. So that 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 meant a lot to me. Yeah. And then wow. he gave me a good, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. And he he could play the drums too. He was he was an amazing musician. We I'm really, really anxious to hear this this album uh when it comes out. And I'm glad you've revealed the 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 release date to us, Kimo, because uh yeah. Yeah, that's really going to be huge. Veteran, I, I think Veterans Day is important to me because yeah. we are not paying attention mm -hmm. to, in a, in a significant way, a lot mm -hmm. of people have, there's videos, there's people conversing, but mm -hmm. in the larger population, you know, the black soldiers of World War One, it is yeah. devastating, just devastating because they thought that this is all they had to do. Mm -hmm was to show that they're going to be patriotic. They're going to fight for their country. And they were so proud. And that's what I'm trying to do with my music. They were so proud. They came back, stood mm -hmm. up and walked through. The, this is what, look what I did for our yeah, country. Exactly. For and our they country, hung they them huh? because they were wearing the uniform. Yeah. And, and then they get treated. them. It's simply because of the uniform, not because of something they did or something they said, but because they had the uniform on. Yeah. And we, you know, and now we got people who are saying, well, let's not make us feel guilty. And I'm not suggesting guilt. I'm just suggesting that we be and pay attention and understand, you know, that there has been these contributions to the fabric of who we are mm -hmm. that hasn't been recognized in a way that they should be. And and I mean, in elementary school, as well as through high school, I know, well, when they get to college, they, they'll, they'll understand it. But uh, so anyway, through this album, I'm hoping and, you know, my voice isn't that big. So of course, it's just, you know, if I was, um, um, you know, someone else with a, a celebrity status, you know, your voice may make a, a big difference. But in in the climate nowadays, I mean, it may not be. But anyway, uh, I appreciate, about that. appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see about that. But, yeah, right. I, yeah. No, seriously, because uh, people need to know about this. And and it's great. And the record is going to be called, again? Uh, Red Summer 1919. Red Summer 1919. Right. It's going to be huge, Chemo. And we're yeah. all going to be waiting well, for You know, Mike Stern's on it, Richard Bona. Great. Uh, Michael Brecker, yourself. And um, Jim, is Jim, yeah, Jim Odgren, he's, he's playing on it. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, but it's, it's really a conceptual, it's a, a conceptual piece. It, it's mm -hmm. my, it, it's it's the one that I've been working towards and I'm, I'm pretty uh, excited about it. I'm also realizing that you get to a point when you're writing music. I got, to, I get to a point when I'm writing music that the expression that I think I'm hoping for isn't realized, hasn't been realized in a way that suggests I should release it. So that session that we did, I don't know if you remember this, but we went for a record at my studio and it was so much fun. And you, I said, how many tunes have you ever done in one session? And you said, oh, I don't know, 19, 20. And I said, we're going to do 21. So this was like through a weekend. And sure enough, on the last tune, you said, we did it just like that. It was just great. And we yeah, did 21 tunes in a weekend. I had a great time. We were hanging. And uh, mm -hmm. remember, Tom Hipskin was there and That's some right. other folks. And mm -hmm. um, it was a we great, had a, great hang. a lot a lot of those were never able to be realized because well, financially as well, of course, yeah. it's yeah. just so expensive to kind of do what it is that you want to do. And I couldn't hire 30 musicians anymore. I wasn't at Berkeley where people would just come in and say, Hey, can we play? Let's play. You know? So if anything I did, I had to hire folks. And, and in a lot of cases, especially in Chicago, uh, so many of them were about, um, uh, uh the, the wedding, the gig, the, where's the next gig and the next gig, nothing wrong with that because you got to pay the bills, you know, but if I, if I ask you to do something in 12-8, uh, please don't ask me to break it down for you, you know, feel the music, feel what you think needs to go there and then let's go for it. 
-hmm. And that was hard to do in Chicago. So I knew it was hard to do with my music. But Vinny, I have to tell you, technology has changed so much from that time when you sat down and you played to my click track. And I still am, I get goosebumps just thinking the fact that how in the hell does anybody sight read 13, 16, then sight read 7, 4, and then sight read rare 12 and 4, and then it goes into the, I mean, and you're like looking at the, at the chart and like, my God, how? And I just said, thank goodness I was able to write it in a way that allowed you to be able to um, do what it is that you did with it. But technology has moved so fast that now, because you were so on, and I'm going to tell you this, and I hope you still love me after I tell you this. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a setup. So, you know, of, of course, I'm, I know you're a Pro Tools guy or or uh, Logic. Yeah, yeah. So I'm working on Rare 12 and um, listening to, you know, the initial bass. And I had to replace, I had to redo the bass because the 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 guy who was playing just, you know, that's the one that Michael Berger said he was, he wasn't, he was off. So I had to kind of redo it with a, because you were, because with, with a click, I could just, um, you would be, use a plug-in or a VST, uh, easy bass or whatever, and then have a, um, uh, and then I can program a bass part. So I said, yeah, that's going to be rough, especially with a click and because the drummer usually, so I said, well, let me check this out. So I have the click in, you know, you get the, uh, the audio file, you can see it. And then I checked your, your snare drum. I can't believe you hit those click, hit the click right there. And then you do this unbelievable, uh, and the click was there. And I just said, that is amazing. So what has happened is because you, you did so much of that, I and with the tools that's available, you have given me a palette that I never thought I would ever be able to have using programmable approaches to my compositions. Well, that's because good. you were so with the click, I can now recreate something and then plug it in. And I know that you're going to be with the click. The click is going to be there. So therefore, the MIDI track or the VST or the plug-in is going to fall into place. So my palette has opened up, and that's what happened with um, uh, Rare 12. Oh, okay. You know, because you were right there. Mm -hmm. You were right there, and, and Brecker knew it, and, and I knew it. So I was able to redo my piano part. Other than the jazz part, that was a little bit different, the horns. And so um, it's an amazing thing now that I feel I'm going to be able to create the music that I wanted to create because technology is now allowing me to do it. Whereas back then I had to use and utilize live musicians who would not be able to keep up with what you were doing on the drums from my perspective. Of course, you, it depends on who you hire, but with the money that I had. Mm -hmm. So now my palette is open. So my point for saying all of this is that now I can go back to those 21 <laughs> uh, songs that we were work on mm -hmm. And and realize them how I heard them in my head. I don't know if you remember this, but we did um, a weather report, um, and I never forget you saying, uh, "I think this is how it goes," because I had it on the on the drum thing, and I <laughs> and then I, I can't even remember the anecdote, but you said, "This is how it goes," and I said, "Yep, yeah, that's how it goes." I don't know because what we, I was yeah. thinking, but it was because we both know, you know. Yeah. We yeah, both, right. Yeah. I mean, we're both came from that same era yeah. of, of stuff. So, man, it's, I tell you, Chemo, it was. Nubian Sundance. That's what it was. Remember that? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That, that's what it was. Yeah. So, Chemo, we, we wait with bated breath, brother. Thank you. And um, thank you very much. This is very special, man. I feel honored. I, I really do because uh, uh, I, and I know that. Um, we all want to uh, express ourselves, you know, in whatever way we can. And you giving me an opportunity to actually talk to someone who has had a huge impact on um, how I record music and the things mm -hmm. that I have expressed. And I, I really want to thank you for that. And thank you for giving me this time to talk about this project that's coming up. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. Chemo, for the great, just all of it. Mm -hmm. So, 
ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you uh, for listening and stay tuned. And thanks to our guest, the great James Kima Williams. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode of Breakfast with Vinny. <laughs>